when I go into the prison, it's the charismatics who are there, um, who yeah. are reaching out to, to the lost, to, to yeah, they're those very who are, into sort of a life change ministry. Yeah, and that's because they deeply believe the spirit can do that, right? And yeah. can radically change somebody's life in a really miraculous way. It could sweep through a whole prison and it's, and yeah. make these people born again. Like, yeah, honestly, this really does challenge our reformed context, or certainly yeah. reformed or Presbyterian or. Anglican or the more traditional mm-hmm. uh, denominations, we need our brothers and sisters in the charismatic church to wake us up sometimes. God can do something big. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. In each episode, we strive to apply Reformed theology to life and ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back after a couple of weeks to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are kind of changing gears from where we've been over the last several episodes, especially those that were uh, interviews that we did in the past couple of months. Um, and today we're going to be talking about something that has really nothing to do with current <laughs> events uh, really much at all. Uh, it's just something that we thought would be fun and we were talking about and kind of just came to mind from different discussions that we've had and that I've had in the last few weeks. And that has to do with the blessings of other denominations. As we look to uh, different traditions of Christianity around us, uh, we can maybe as a, as reformed people have strong opinions about why we think that we are better or superior or whatever it may be. But I think it's also really good as a spiritual practice just to think about where we fit in the broader bride of Christ and to appreciate and learn to really seriously appreciate the beauty and the goodness and the truth that is captured and conveyed by Christians that uh, have different histories than we do, different backgrounds, different confessions or statements of faith. And so, yeah, we, we thought it would be a fun episode and one that would be very practical as many of us drive around our, our cities or towns. We see different kinds of churches and Uh, There's probably some we know a little bit about or have experienced before, but there's probably a lot more that we know very little about. One interesting example of this here in Ripon is that Ripon does not have in city limits a Roman Catholic church. There is one out in the country, Um, but there is a Coptic Orthodox church, uh, which is one of the far lesser known churches in the Western world. Um, Of course, we have Roman Catholicism, which is quite common, and then we have a little bit less common than that, Eastern Orthodoxy, but Coptic Orthodoxy, that's one that makes people scratch their heads a little bit today. And so we think in this episode, a helpful way to go about it would just be to think about what are the blessings Mm -hmm. and sort of the gifts, what what gifts do these other churches bring to the broader body of Christians around the whole world? Yeah, we're hoping to give people some practical pointers on what to expect from different denominations uh, to think of of a situation that a listener might find yourself in you're on vacation and you're wondering about 
a church where you could go attend on a Sunday morning, and um, maybe you want to spice things up a little bit and get outside <laughs> your traditional um, approach, uh, not just going to a Christian Reformed church or the nearest PCA or OPC church, um, but maybe trying an Anglican church out or a Lutheran church while you're on vacation yeah. um, or a Baptist church. And so what we want to do in this episode is encourage you to look for certain things that are positive and wonderful and spirit-filled about those other denominations. Um, I think that certainly in the history of the Christian Reformed Church, we've had pretty high and thick walls around the Christian Reformed Church, um, so much so that I'll occasionally hear from people who grew up in the CRC um, maybe hmm. 65, 70 years ago, oh, I'm not so sure those RCA people were going to heaven, you know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, and that's just absolutely uh, problematic, sinful to, to think that that we're the only chosen yeah, uh, group yeah. in in God's <laughs> in the world. Um, you know, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, which, of course, includes Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Roman Catholics and Orthodox and so forth. And so, um, part of part of my hope in this episode is that we can we can lower those walls a little bit, um, at, certainly in our disposition towards other believers. Um, yeah, not saying that. Somebody should run out and um, and just you know join any of these churches because I do believe that a reformed church and reformed doctrine is better and is more biblical. However, we could certainly see the blessing and benefit of um, life in some of these other denominations. Yeah, it's a great point. Last or two weeks ago, for a youth group, we had our Reformation Day party. Uh, <laughs> which always comes around in late October for our youth group. Uh, and so to do that, we of course celebrate the reformation. And one of the, one of the students, one of the high school students who was there made some comment that really stuck with me. And he basically, he was really celebrating the reformation. And he said with much gusto and passion, if the only church available was a Roman Catholic church, I wouldn't go to church at all. Mm. Um, and, he kind of looked at me like wondering if I was going to verify what he said. Uh, and I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I don't think that's maybe the best way to, th- to think about it. And that has kind of spurred on a little bit of my thinking here. And I think mm-hmm. exactly what you said was right, that we want to kind of lower the wall or help people peer over the wall of other church denominations and kind of know what are they about? What's their story? What do they sort of bring to the table? Uh, maybe in a further episode or a future episode, we could kind of come back around and talk about some of the weaknesses of other traditions, including our own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's good to have a healthy perspective on churches that are different than ourselves. And one thing I'll add to this I think is important is that as we go through these, we'll kind of be thinking about each one at its theological best Yeah, uh, because it would be – it's it's quite confusing, but – Oh, each of these major traditions that we'll be looking at has different uh, expressions within them that are, I would say, not exactly theologically orthodox or or really even Christian when it really boils down to it. Hmm. Um, and so when we talk about Lutherans, actually there's many different Lutheran denominations yeah. and some of which are really solid, some of which I would say are really not solid. Uh, and so 
Yeah, or Presbyterian or Methodist or Anglican. Yep, Yep. Yep. there's good and bad in each of these different traditions in the same way that there are what we would say maybe good and bad in the Reformed tradition as well. Um, And so maybe a better title for this or way of thinking about this episode would not be just denominations, uh, although we may bring those up, but traditions, different Christian traditions, within the grand Christian tradition, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah, to use a word picture, I mean, we can think of the family tree of Christianity, and there Mm -hmm. are some, there's a branch called Lutheranism, there are some branches, sub-branches of Lutheranism bearing good fruit, and there are other branches that are dead. Yeah. And so, um, again, the same thing with Roman Catholic, uh, Orthodox as well. Um, You could look at any branch in mm-hmm. the the family in the family tree of Christianity, and see that um, there are there are some where the gospel is proclaimed, where there is um, a celebration of the sacraments uh, that would be pleasing to the Lord according to His Word, and there is church discipline, accountability, real fellowship, and love. Yeah. And so, um, I guess maybe the the last word of preamble is that we we want to be generally positive in this conversation, hmm. but there's going to be a few points where we do have to draw some distinctions between, yeah. um, again, say uh, PCUSA Presbyterian Church or uh, Presbyterian Church in America or OPC, which would be more fruitful denominations. So, yeah. um, so with all that being said. Uh, Let's get into maybe the first one we have listed here is Lutheranism, which my family are Lutherans now. So um, my my parents and my brother and sister, my brother and and his wife um, go to a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in Indianapolis. And, and you have a history in the I grew Lutheran up going church. to a uh, Lutheran school K through eight Bethany Lutheran School in Naperville, Illinois. A so wonderful you were experience. Catechized, right? Yeah, and part of the the education was to catechize us during the school day with, with a Lutheran Luther's, catechism. Yeah. The Luther's small catechism. I still remember the first um, <laughs> so their catechism's different than the Heidelberg. Um, the questions of the Heidelberg are all different, hmm. but in Luther's catechism it would be um, the first commandment, and then just what does this mean? Or yeah. give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And and then give really good teaching throughout yeah. throughout that. So uh, yeah, my family is Lutheran. Too. Well, historically Lutheran. No one really now, except for my aunt. My two aunts are Lutheran. Yeah, and uh, so what what would you say, Zach? Is is something that somebody could look for as a real positive in the Lutheran tradition? Yeah. So. <laughs> It's something that we share with them uh, as Protestants, but I think uh, if there's one doctrine that Lutherans maybe emphasize uh, more, even even more so than we do, um, it would be justification by grace alone through faith alone. This idea that we are declared righteous by the free grace of God, not according to any of our works. And so we know the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther remains an icon in Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. Very much. I'm not. That's not saying anything too groundbreaking, given that they're called Lutherans. But really, more so than any other denomination, there is the hero of the denomination yeah, is yeah. Martin Luther that's, in Lutheranism. That is true. Yeah. Um, and so, and he was he was a pretty grand personality. So. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. I don't think Calvin was was an amazing person, but he wasn't quite the character that Luther was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more of a, it seems like a scholar and a, a thinker. And there would be fewer ethnic ties because Calvin was French who lived in Switzerland yeah. and the Calvinist 
nations are Holland and Scotland, right? And so, yeah. whereas with Lutheranism, the German German people sort of, are Lutheran, uh, yeah, yeah, core like uh, and then it's some sort Scandinavians, of but yes, yeah. Germany really. Although there are reformed people in Germany as yep. well, like yep. the Heidelberg Catechism coming from Germany different regions but most of the regions of germany of course were lutheran so they really emphasized those sort of uh really deeply protestant doctrines that we all kind of share with them and so the lutherans we would appreciate very much their teaching on on justification uh, and we would agree with them pretty much across the board uh, on the, on those things um, they really emphasize also the law gospel distinction which is to kind of put it in a brief summary statement they kind of can read all of scripture through this lens of parts of it either falling into g- law uh, which would be anything that kind of gives gives you a commandment or a prescription for how you ought to live in accordance with god's will or god's law and then the other way that they will see parts of scripture would be falling into the category of gospel, where there's pronouncements of good news of God's salvation and reconciliation through Christ. And so it's kind of this distinction, which the reformed have as well, mm-hmm. although we think of it a little bit differently. Um, but they they see scripture in this really strong lens. And this kind of goes back to their idea of justification by grace alone through faith alone. And you can think about the story of Luther who was uh, – in many ways, uh, burdened deeply, um, disturbed, you might say, by his own sin and by his his fear of God's holiness. And so uh, being led to the, the gospel, the, the what we might call the Protestant gospel, when he discovered that mm-hmm. uh, in the early 1500s, uh, this created a great sense of relief for him. And this sort of... Uh, connection or relationship between law and gospel still is a a sort of high point in lutheran thinking and it's still one of the main emphases that they have and so that's something that i think we can appreciate uh one final thing i'll personally mention is that some lutherans um, call themselves evangelical catholics and this is to sort of say that lutheranism uh, as a phenomenon as a tradition still really has a high view of church tradition and of retaining a catholicity a visible distinct catholicity some lutherans even call themselves um uh, different forms of catholics so evangelical catholics they'll say or sometimes um uh what's the name of the the augsburg catholics Mm. um because they have the augsburg confession so Mm uh and so i appreciate some of that some of it's probably a little too high church for me personally but uh Lutherans really do have a, a serious claim to uh, historical Christianity in a way that I think is very commendable. Yeah, another one that I would add is a high view of Christian day school education, which is, oh, yeah. um, as far as I know, uh, Lutherans and Roman Catholics are probably the only other denominations that I can think of mm. alongside the Christian Reformed Church, which would would emphasize so much the yeah. importance of learning scriptures during the course of a school day for children. Yeah. Um, now, of course, there are homeschool movements and things like Calvary Chapel and um, more conservative reform denominations as well. But uh, I was the beneficiary of the the good teaching of Bethany Lutheran School, and that was a mm-hmm. really wonderful experience. Um, we even played the other Lutheran schools in sports, and there was kind of like this, this micro 
uh, sort of community um, where we would, you know, go to the other towns and play the other Lutheran schools. And, and that was, huh. it kind of created a really neat little, little subculture, I guess, in the Western yeah. suburbs of Chicago that was uh, cool to be a part of. It was a very small school and has gotten even smaller, but hmm. certainly um, had a lot of great memories of going to that school and, and learning the gospel there. Um, I, I do think that, pr- very practically speaking, if you go to a good Lutheran church, you're going to hear about putting your faith in Jesus and yeah. trusting in God, and you're yeah. going to very likely say the Lord's Prayer during a worship service, mm-hmm. very likely say the Apostles or Nicene Creed, very likely going to hear the Ten Commandments during a worship service. And so yeah. some of those liturgical elements are really, really solid, especially in the more traditional Missouri and Wisconsin Synod congregations. Yeah. So um, within this um, this uh, this branch of the church, Lutheranism, I, I would just want to say if you're looking for a church, you probably do want to steer clear of evangelical Lutheran churches, so ELCA, um, many false churches, uh, with heretic pastors. Um, for example, one just recently I saw a sermon um, saying that, uh, that God put the rainbow in the sky to show that he was sorry to humanity for destroying so many people in the flood. And so God was wrong to do that. And so the, the rainbow reminds us. As if the rainbow makes that, yeah, r- that right. The, rem- right? The, the rainbow <laughs> was like sort of God's <laughs> repentance at, in showing yeah. that he had done a bad thing. And so, again, that's the kind of wild exegesis yeah. that, that you would have in, um, in some ELCA Lutheran churches. Now, that would not stand in a Missouri Synod or Wisconsin yeah. Synod Lutheran church. And so there are good... Um, good churches. There, I would guess there are some good congregations in the ELCA as well, but just to be aware of that, if somebody mm-hmm. is looking to uh, to walk through the doors of a Lutheran church, that's what I would suggest. And so we need to keep moving, and we're yeah. going to go to Zach's, uh, one of Zach's favorite denominations, one that where he's been a part yeah. of the, the denomination of the Anglican or Episcopal or Church of England. So Yeah, so I could say a lot on this, but I'll try to keep this short. Um yeah, Anglicans. There's we're trying to think about the really good things that I think people on this show will should need, should need to know. Uh, I think one of the great things about the Anglican tradition is that it's a very uh, varied denomination or tradition, a theological tradition, uh, which in some ways is a curse, in some ways is a blessing. But on the ground, Anglicans there are there are different streams of Anglicanism. There's the sort of high church Anglican stream, which is closely related to but not synonymous with the anglo-catholic stream um, which is what a lot of people think of when they think of anglicans they think of variations of these two uh, groups within the anglican church where it almost seems like a roman catholic church Mm. that's probably a high church or anglo-catholic church that you're at or congregation Um, there also are a lot of evangelical anglicans out there and so famous ones actually that people probably have at least heard of J.I. Packer being maybe the leader of this, John Stott, the great pastor of the 20th century, mm-hmm. um, other figures such as uh, Alistair McGrath. Um, and then also another interesting group of Anglicans that would be sort of charismatic, very low church Anglicans like uh, Nicky Gumbel yep. and the Alpha Course. Yep. Um, and a lot of Anglicans coming from uh New Zealand and Australia tend to to be more in line with this or with the more evangelical 
wing of Anglicanism. Anglicans in some ways, some Anglicans would really identify as very closely with Lutherans. Some Anglicans identify very closely with Methodists. Some hmm. identify very closely with the Reformed, like J.I. Packer or John Stott. Some identify quite closely with Catholicism or even Eastern Orthodoxy. And so one one of the great blessings of Anglicanism that I think like as a gift that they bring to the church globally is that they help the church they, they kind of can function as interpreters mm. as as a way or as middlemen who can help different branches of the church understand one another because Anglicans in some ways are I hate to say it a middle way um, <laughs> or the via media is the famous terminology um, which there's a lot that could be said but I'm just trying to give a broad overview uh, Anglicans within their own tradition have a lot of traditions mm. and so they help people understand the breadth of Christianity. A good example of this would be C.S. Lewis, who himself was an Anglican, um, who talked about mere Christianity and kind of compared Christianity as a home with rooms and as mere Christianity was kind of the hallway through which you could pass, and but you needed to choose a room. You needed to find a place where you could really belong and be warmed. The fires and the food, he says, are in the rooms, not in the hallway, but the hallway is how, what kind of connects all these different rooms. And so Anglicans have this kind of broad vision of the church and the Anglicans mm. can actually then appreciate and learn from, and they actually actively learn from other traditions um, in a very natural and organic way uh, that I think is really commendable and I think makes Anglicanism a well-rounded tradition. This isn't to say that it's without its faults. It definitely has its faults. Mm. Um, and maybe as people are listening, they think we think of Anglicans today, especially in the United States or in the church of England, or if anybody's in Canada as being quite progressive. Um, but if we think about the other parts of the Anglican church that aren't progressive, there's actually a lot of really, really good things happening and great thinkers both in the in the western world and in the global south in mm -hmm. particular and mm -hmm. so yeah there's there's something that's some things i think about the anglican church yeah i got to go to quite a few of these during the summer during my sabbatical while i was in england and i would just use two words uh i would say tradition and global um so the the, tra mm. the, the rich tradition of the anglican church which is um, I mentioned in a sermon uh, after sort of when I got back from my sabbatical where uh, I was I was at the cathedral in Durham on the feast day of the Venerable Bede who was buried in that church mm -hmm. and the Venerable Bede died in the 8th century and so his body was moved from a nearby town called Jero to, uh, to Durham in the year 1000. So he's been buried there for a thousand years wow. and... Um, and there was this celebration of the beads uh, hmm. of, of his life and uh, of Bede's life. His first name was Bede. Um, and, uh, and so it was really cool. We never prayed to him. We never, hmm. um, we never worshiped him in any way, yeah. which uh, is helpful because I, that's a serious error in the Roman Catholic Church is to pray to a person instead yeah. of to God. Um, but and some in the Anglo-Catholic Church would do something like that, right? And so I, I was kind of listening for it a little yeah. bit because I didn't know if they would pray to mm -hmm. Bede, which we never did, and we just praised God for working through this servant who was a, a historian and a theologian and um, a good church leader in the eighth century. So, 
um, there was this really cool connection to the history of the church. Hmm. And then um, along with that, I would I would just uh, echo your comment on being a global church and yeah. and the Anglican church. Um, there are some some questionable African Anglican congregations. Yeah, very um, Pentecostal, I think, actually. Or like in South Africa, I'm thinking in terms of like oh, Desmond yeah. Tutu and so, yeah. so some of the, the crazy theology. A lot of liberationism right. has seeped in for sure. Right, but yeah. uh, overall, from what I've heard, like uh, the, the African Anglican Church is very courageous, very forthright, very mm-hmm. uh, Christ-centered, and again, very historic in their yeah. understanding of what the scriptures teach. So I, I appreciated that. Um, and, and all the, the reading that I've done, my experiences in the Anglican Church. But let's move on to the Anabaptists. Um, I notice you've got a note here. What, what's that? Yeah, so <laughs> I'll put my cards on the table, and I have Anabaptist friends here in town that may even listen to this episode at some point. <laughs> so I will say, historically, when we're thinking about the Anabaptists early in the Reformation, I am not really a fan. It, so, it is hard to root for the early Anabaptists, um, yes. <laughs> actually, in our Reformed Confessions, there are some yeah. quite scathing comments made about Anabaptists, and in their historical context, mm-hmm. I I actually agree with with those scathing comments. Um, but that isn't to say that I I hate Anabaptists or anything today. And I think Anabaptists today, in some ways, are quite different, although they still bear certain marks. And I think if we're thinking about the good things about Anabaptists, and of which there are, there are many, um, one of the good focuses or focuses on foci. foci there we go <laughs> that's my good greek there um <laughs> uh, the simplicity of anabaptism yeah uh in some ways i i see this as a fault but we're not going there so i see this also as a as a good thing they really want to focus on kind of clearing clearing the deck a little bit getting back to bare bones getting back to jesus so that's another big focus the the person of Jesus and they, the Anabaptists in many ways. And I was just telling Mark this before we recorded the episode here. The Anabaptists in many ways are kind of the 16th century version of different mendicant orders of the Roman Catholic church, like the Franciscans in particular, who preached a sort of gospel of poverty, uh, voluntary, voluntary poverty, Hmm. uh, taking vows of, of just not earning, a lot of money, um, begging for your, your way through towns as you're preaching. So that sort of simplicity and focus on, on Jesus. They also really focus on scripture. Um, and you could sort of call them the original biblicists mm-hmm. in the sense that they pretty much totally rejected Christian tradition. And Again, creeds I, and, and confessions. So especially. I see that yeah. as not a good thing. Um, but I I get the intent. And I, the intent is is good. Scripture is, is something that we should take seriously. Although in some ways, many of them actually went really far and rejected parts of scripture, even in the 16th century. So these were often, well, they are called the radical reformers Mm. in the history of the reformation. There's the magisterial, magisterial reformers, the Lutherans, the reformed, the Anglicans, uh, and that would include Presbyterians as well. But the Anabaptists really rejected uh, tradition and, and state churches um, and maybe that's another strength yeah, of the Anabaptists is yep. a disestablishment. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings about establishment, whether it's good or bad. Um, I think it's it's many ways clearly a bad thing, and, but in some ways it's maybe not the worst thing in the world. Uh, 
but thinking about them positively, the focus also on the individual and on the believer, the believer's immediate relationship to Christ. Um, in some ways, the Anabaptists are the most Protestant of the Protestants. <laughs> um, and so there is, there are things that I think we can definitely appreciate. And I think today, just thinking about the 21st century context, Anabaptists are, are often, uh, really just zealous about evangelism. Mm-hmm. They're really, they really care deeply about people coming to know Jesus, um, and on personal piety and fellowship within the community of the church. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of really great things that I love about them. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap, obviously, with the Anabaptists and the Reformed Baptists or other yeah. Baptist uh, denominations. Um, it's a, Sometimes yeah. it's hard to tell where the distinctives lie, but um, you're going to find in these churches um, biblical preaching. I mean, it's just going to be straight from the Bible. I, I would say... Um, Again, in the context of you're looking for a church on vacation, um, you see First Baptist wherever town you're at. Um, there's it's a pretty good bet you're going to hear a biblical sermon in that church, and yeah. you're going to go through the door, and um, you'll be probably very warmly welcomed. People would would be happy to see you. It's it's going to be. Um, it's kind of set up to be a hospitable place, spiritually speaking. Yeah. Um, so very, very low church, and by that we mean not a lot of liturgy. There, there would be a strong distaste for mm-hmm. um, liturgy, liturgical elements, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and and so forth. Just probably a lot of singing, um, maybe it's maybe some uh, some prayer. I mean, obviously there's going to be some prayer, but maybe not the lengthy prayer that we have in in our reformed context of a congregational prayer, yeah. and then a very long sermon, and yeah. so. Uh, that that would be an example of something that you'd find there, and um, all the Baptist traditions. One of their their major selling points as well is their diversity, and so you're going to find hmm. uh, a, a lot of uh, black people in Baptist churches, yeah. and uh, and obviously it, it spans um, the the cultural and ethnic boundaries that a lot of other denominations haven't been able to do, which is yeah. unfortunate for. Our reformed context or for um thinking of like the the anglican context in, in our american culture and so forth yeah. uh, lutherans as well um and so uh, it's going to be more ethnically diverse which is a real real strength mm-hmm. um but uh and and a lot of that goes back to uh, just the prevalence of baptist churches in the south where many african-american people mm-hmm. uh lived and still live and so yep. a little bit of that is geographical but um, but it, it's great to go and participate in a church that is is different in that way. Like I remember being in Louisiana um, at a Baptist church there, and uh, very vibrant church, great sermon, very biblical. Um, and and within that too is a real seriousness about the Bible and following Jesus. Yeah. Um, and 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 the yeah. personal nature of that, like that that's one thing that I appreciate. Um, in contrast to the Roman Catholic or the the more high church Anglican or Lutheran mm-hmm. views, which are a little bit more objective, um, in the Baptist church, you're going to be asked, are you a disciple of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Are, where are you at with the Lord? Uh, yeah, have you repented for the focus. forgiveness of your sins? Um, yeah. Which is how Jesus preached when he went yeah. and talked to people, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Um, so 
uh, I've, I appreciated that. And, and maybe even with this, we can jump right into Reformed Baptists. Um, is there yeah, anything? There's, there's definitely an overlap. Yeah. And Baptists are tricky because some Baptists have Anabaptist roots. Basically, Anabaptists, if, if the person you're talking to traces their church's historical roots back to the 16th or 17th century, to Germany in particular, but mm-hmm. also other places like Switzerland um, or even the Netherlands, uh, they may be Anabaptists. All of these groups only baptize believers. So that's another yeah. thing that kind of keeps them together. But tracing their histories is different. Reformed Baptists are traced back to the 17th century in England um, after the Westminster Confession, mm. uh, after Westminster Assembly, which writes the Westminster Confession. Later on in the 17th century in 1689 comes the uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith. And that's where it's basically the Westminster Confession, so they're very similar to Presbyterians, except for who gets baptized, believers mm-hmm. for Reformed Baptists and uh, infants for Presbyterians. And so uh, that's maybe one distinction, although when you hear somebody say, I'm a Baptist, it doesn't mean <laughs> that they're Reformed. It doesn't mean that they're not Reformed. You yeah. have to dig deeper, basically. It's a pretty broad term, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. some Baptists are not Reformed or Calvinistic, and some are. Um, so you have to dig deeper into what where their sort of theological uh, sympathies lie. And it, um, in recent decades, it's become far more common to be a Reformed Baptist, yes. whereas even when I was a kid, a Baptist was almost assumed to be an Arminian. Yes. But... MacArthur and Piper and Don Carson, yeah, really those those three uh, among many others, um, yeah. becoming so influential that really pulled a lot of Baptist churches towards a more reformed soteriology. Yeah, and so that's another tricky thing though yeah. too. MacArthur wouldn't say he's a reformed Baptist. MacArthur doesn't hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. However, he's a reformed person who's yeah. also. Baptist in his thinking, but yeah. he's not a part of a Baptist denomination either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that gets kind of convoluted. Um, but that maybe leads into an interesting point that in many ways, Baptist thinking and Baptist Christianity is kind of the default Christianity in America, yeah. whether or not somebody even calls themselves a Baptist. So maybe one tradition we could talk about if we can call it a tradition <laughs> is the non-denominational yep. tradition sure which in many ways a non-denominational church they will often like to say that we're just plain christianity you know we don't have the denominational hierarchy we don't have the bureaucracy we mm-hmm. don't have any of that we're just simple we're just with the bible and that's it well if you do a little digging you'll <laughs> always find 100 percent of the time Every non-denominational church comes from some sort of theological yeah. or mixture of different theological backgrounds, um, yeah, and, and the, most <laughs> and mostly they're basically Baptist, although they may have a few distinctions, like they may be charismatic, which yeah. maybe we can go into in a minute. Well, the comedian Tim Hawkins says uh, non-denominational churches are Baptist churches with a cool website. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's I mean that's a joke, of course, but there's. The reason everybody laughed when I heard him tell that joke yeah. at a non-denominational church was, wow, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, And I, often Baptists will say that even though I'm Baptist, I'm non-denominational. Like the Southern Baptist Convention, they will say, it's not a denomination. Yeah. It's a convention. Right. And so it's totally voluntary. As soon as a church wants to get out, they can just get out. They can just opt out voluntaristically. Whereas in our denomination, there's a <laughs> procedure. If, if a certain congregation or pastor wants to get out, 
Yeah, it's a lengthy one. There's going to be a process yeah. for that, and that's because of our accountability. So that would be a distinction. Yeah, and maybe on this point of Reformed Baptists, they're among... The Reformed Baptists in particular, there's been a real wonderful recovery of expository preaching. And so, um, again, through MacArthur, um, no thanks to Spurgeon, because he certainly was no expository preacher. He jumped all over the place and often would just focus sometimes on half of a verse in his sermons. But as much as I love the sermons of Spurgeon, I, I would say... That's one area he maybe could have improved is just going through books of the Bible. He was but a great preacher. He but was an amazing expository preacher. Expository maybe wasn't what right. He was and doing. so by expository preaching, we mean uh, just preaching through a book of the Bible. Yeah. And um, that was kind of a new idea to me when I was getting more exposed hmm. to uh, the Gospel Coalition, people like yeah. John MacArthur and John Piper. Um, to my knowledge, I never heard expository preaching through a book of the Bible in the Christian Reformed Church in which I was raised. Hmm. It was it was more topical, um, topical in the theological sense, not just sort of, um, you know. Three steps six, for a better marriage right, or exactly, whatever. Or yeah. six ways to raise your kids in the suburbs or something like that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not always what it was, but um, the Baptists really uh, elevated expository preaching as a value that yeah. is actually very reformed because it's how John Calvin preached and so forth. So um, I uh, I value that and 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 this this would help somebody walking in again through the doors of a Baptist church to know um, it's very very likely you're going to hear the Bible exposited during the course of the service. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, let's we could move to uh, Presbyterians. I mean, we could probably talk do a whole. <laughs> 45-minute episode easily on Presbyterianism. Yeah, in but, many ways, they're the closest thing to us. Right, right. Which is why you mentioned that often a Reformed person looking for a church on vacation will just find a Presbyterian church of some sort. Yeah. Um, they, too, there there are progressive denominations, the main one being the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church of the United States um, of America. Uh, and so generally be wary. That's not to say <laughs> that every single PCUSA congregation is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are some still fairly good pastors in the PCUSA. Yeah, my sister attended a, a decent PCUSA for yeah. a season and heard some good preaching, but yeah. Yeah, so they share a lot of theological things with us. Um, if we're thinking about what they, what Presbyterians as a tradition bring uh, to the table that maybe we don't in the continental world, um, I kind of, I don't know, I have to really scratch my head to think about uh, what they bring that's different. Maybe maybe more of a theological sharpness. I mean, in, in some ways, the mm. Westminster tradition differing from the continental reform tradition is it's, a, it's an advanced or matured reformed thought, whereas the continental reformed churches like ours, which hold to the Heidelberg, the Belgic Confession, and the Synod of Dort, two of the three of those are from the 15th century, early in the Reformation, mm. whereas the Westminster tradition goes back to the Westminster Assembly, which took place in the 1640s. Mm. Um, and so it, it kind of represents a development of Reformed thought, even uh, Reformed thought coming to full bloom, some it's would kind argue. kind of reacting against different things, right? Yeah, and so it's reacting ways. particularly against the Church of England, yeah. um, and it's sort of, uh, they, they would have seen it as a halfway Reformed uh, tradition or, or church. Um, but on the ground today, Presbyterians, I, I think, are 
really biblical, really strong on the Bible, biblical theology, Mm. but also really, really good at systematic theology. Maybe that's where we could say that they really are stronger even than the Dutch Reformed churches these days. There's not really any 20th century or 21st century Dutch Reformed theologian systematic theologian, but there are are several Presbyterian ones. John Frame, one of my professors, Cornelius Van Til. Um, Another recent one would be Robert Lethem. Yeah, maybe John Bolt would be close to that on the continental side. Yeah, Yeah, but... uh that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. but but pro- probably would, he wouldn't be well known to the level that a John Frame would. Yeah, yeah. that's probably the case. Yeah, um, I can't say that <laughs> with full certainty, but I and think the Presbyterians yeah. are really good with systematics, um, which is really putting the whole Bible together hmm. and trying to understand what all of Scripture says on different things. That's a really strong suit. They are also, in many ways, very Kuyperian today, which is because of the influence, I think, of the Dutch tradition on mm. this on the PCA. Mm-hmm. Tim Keller being kind of a figure of, of this sort of, uh, I don't know, angle of the PCA or this sort of group of the PCA. Um, I actually learned Kuyperianism at my mostly PCA seminary. <laughs> uh, and so I can say that with confidence that the PCA is in many ways very Kuyperian, certain elements of it. Um, yeah, and we can also value its confessionality, too, that oh, yeah. um, when I was in Lexington, Kentucky last summer, we attended a PCA church and heard Q&A, mm. one of the Heidelberg Catechism during the worship yeah. service there. And so um, just that sense that uh, that there is a tradition bigger than the local church, yeah. um, that's a that's a sort of an, an issue in many of, of these denominations is is kind of an insular local feel. Uh, mm-hmm. sometimes at the expense of an embrace of the Holy Catholic Church throughout all times yeah. and places. Uh, but you're not going to see as much of that through the Presbyterian Church. Um, uh, to maybe give a plug for some great Presbyterian thought, you should check out the Mortification of Spin podcast, which is yeah. hosted by a uh, PCA church. Todd Pruitt is, is, uh, is the pastor of that church. And then Carl Truman is a very notable theologian and, and church historian author, who is a professor at Grove City College right now, and so he's for, from OPC, but he's yeah. British also, which right. is interesting. So he's uh, he's from yeah the Orthodox Presbyterian Church right now, um, and that that gives you a really good taste of probably the best of the Presbyterian yeah. world in that podcast, and, and a good example of where yeah. the both of those denominations kind of are. Yeah, um, I would say maybe that's a less Kyperian podcast. Maybe they would be a pro Kuiper, but a little bit more to kingdom. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. my guess. So, so moving yeah, on, yeah. we can try to quickly get through the rest of these. <laughs> We're taking up a lot of time here, I feel like, on each one. But there's so much to say. We're not yes. doing justice yeah. to these. But the Methodists. Um, so yeah. if any listener has been listening to this show for a very long time, you've probably heard me say that I went through high school and college in what I like to call a formerly Methodist church. It was very Wesleyan, but it was no longer officially a part of the United Methodist Church, which is certainly the biggest Methodist denomination. Um, there are smaller ones like uh, the Full Methodist. I think it's what that's what it's called. There's mm. different ones. I forget the names of them all off the top of my head. Uh, but when free you Methodists. See, yeah, when uh, you see the cross with the flame, it's the yes. United Methodist Church. And so yeah. most Methodist churches, if you see one in a small town, it's probably a United Methodist Church. Um but it may not be. We have a Methodist church here that I mm-hmm. think is Free Methodist mm-hmm. in downtown Ripon. Um, but what's, what do they bring to the table? Well, 
John Wesley, their sort of founder, um, and his brother, Charles Wesley, uh, they together brought a certain kind of zeal into, they were actually in the Church of England, uh, and they were very inspired by continental pietism, particularly the Moravians, a Mm. German pietist group that had kind of arisen out of pietistic Lutheranism, which was a less churchly Lutheranism and more of an individualistic form of Lutheranism focused on holiness and personal piety, hence the term pietism. Especially caring for the poor. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. And almost like some communal living in some Mm -hmm. parts of of, uh, the Moravian movement. Wesley is very influenced by these people. He meets them on a ship when he's coming to the States to try to preach, which did not go very well. He came (laughs) to Georgia and was fairly unsuccessful and went back to England with his tail between his legs, basically. Uh, But in Oxford, where he was... uh, he sets up these groups called holy clubs and it was groups of men who would meet together uh, and would basically become, they were kind of like proto accountability groups, you Mm -hmm. might say, where they would really uh, try to strengthen and encourage each other's zeal for God and for the scriptures and for personal holiness, which is a huge emphasis in the Methodist tradition. Um, And so that's a big part of what they bring to the, to the table, I think, is personal holiness and zeal. And so I think accountability groups and in some ways small groups that we have that are so prevalent in the world today and the church today kind of go back in many ways to the Methodist church. Um, and so Methodist churches, I when I kind of was raised in and came to faith in, uh, in an adult, serious way, uh, one of the things that they really loved to do was the residency program that I lived in where college guys lived together in a house owned by the church. Um, and we experienced that sort of holiness of mm. life and keeping each other accountable and learning to live in close community with one another and studying scripture, uh, and the Christian faith and theology. And, uh, and so that's something I really appreciated. Methodists also really had, a, it kind of started in the revival periods mm-hmm. first great awakening and then really got going in the second great awakening and so in many ways they're very evangelistic yeah. um and also like the baptists quite uh ethnically diverse particularly with uh black americans and so there are some methodist episcopal churches yeah. that are episcopal in church government but are a- african methodist episcopals i should say ame churches um and so their tradition has always been quite, you might say, inclusive of ethnic minorities. And actually, many Methodists were the first to ordain women to mm-hmm. the pastorate, um, which, of course, is something that we would disagree with. But you could see their sort of uh, radical, radical egalitarian impulse. And in some ways, I think that's really commendable. Yeah, I don't have really any experience with um, the Methodist movement. I... Um just knowing what I do about their history, there was a huge cultural impact on the Methodist movement in England that is still felt today. If you go to England, um, you'll still hear the name John Wesley and Charles Wesley and William yeah. Wilberforce. And, um, yeah. and so they, they, they created an evangelical movement that still reverberates to this day mm-hmm. in British culture. So yeah. um, that, 
and and that not just in a theological sense, but often in a very practical sense of caring for the poor, starting hospitals, um, mm-hmm. d- um, engaging with the government and what what uh, yeah. should be happening with policies and so forth. They were um, one of the the sort of shining lights of that, certainly in the 18th century. Yeah, transformationalism. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's big deal. It's not just Kuyperianism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's different Protestant versions of, of that, and the Methodists have always had that sort of, yeah, impulse. Get involved, uh, make a difference in the world. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, maybe another one, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of story could go with this one, is the Pentecostal or Charismatic um, Church. Um, assemblies of God, churches yeah. of God, those and, would be the main. And we talked about how non-denominational churches are often Baptistic. I think the other, an, an argument could be made that they are more charismatic in nature. Yeah, maybe they're a mixture. Too. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> and most charismatics only baptize adults yeah, or, or yeah, believers. Sure. And so, so like I had an experience at one point, I was, um, I was doing um, Kids Hope Kids Hope USA? No, the the Good News Club. Um, mm. Good News Clubs after in, in a school, and I was asked to come and um, hmm. participate in a, a Good News Club uh, Saturday uh, event where people were going to come and hear about that. It was at a charismatic church, and um, and so I, I I came in. The worship was was very raucous, I would say, lively, <laughs> uh, very lively, um, very energetic, and me and my staunch sort of northern european dutchness just kind of stood there with my arms folded for a little bit until i realized these people are worshiping jesus and they're they really love jesus they love the word of god i need to loosen up a little bit and i need to participate in this and put an effort forward towards Hmm. participating in this worship that is exalting the name of the lord and so um that that has always been in the back of my head and entering into non-denominational churches or charismatic churches where um do i hmm. do i agree with all of their theology no I'm, I'm not going to but um they are brothers and sisters in christ um mm-hmm. and so uh that that's one thing that i appreciated was the uh the fervor of mm-hmm. of their worship um the way that such people pray is often very powerful and very uh very heartfelt and focused and yeah. um, and they they often will know their scripture very well and include that in prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say charismatics at their best will pray in line with scripture. Yeah. Um, not, maybe not to be critical. And they're bold but in prayer exactly. in ways that many yeah. others aren't. Right. They pray in a way that is like Hannah prayed. Yeah. In um in First Samuel, where hmm. uh, that's a so, good point. So Eli sees Hannah praying and she's weeping, and that doesn't mean every prayer needs to be that way. But yeah. occasionally, a, a believer should pray, pleading with God to that for help for you know, or, or just giving praise to God with all your inmost being, as mm-hmm. the Psalms call us to. And charismatics really, um, at their best, will enjoy that kind of worship. I would say another one hmm. that I've seen is when I go into the prison, it's the charismatics who are there, um, who yeah. are reaching out to to the lost to to yeah, they're those very who are, into 
sort of uh, life change ministry. Yeah. And that's because they deeply believe the spirit can do that. Right. And yeah. can radically change somebody's life in a really miraculous way. It could sweep through a whole prison and, and, and yeah. make these people born again. Like, yeah. honestly, this really does challenge our reformed context or certainly yeah. reformed or Presbyterian or Anglican or the more traditional mm-hmm. uh, denominations. We need our brothers and sisters in the charismatic church to wake us up sometimes god can do something big like right yeah we often think that, that nah, you know it's things happen slowly and that's more maybe a, a part of our disposition mm-hmm. <laughs> um th- whether theologically or just ethnically um but the, yeah the charismatics remind us and the rest of the church that no god can do big things yeah um and we we could say we could give all kinds of reasons why we have issues with them and i think we do but I'm very thankful for them. Um, I'm glad that there are charismatic brothers and sisters. Um, and yeah, they, they reach people that many of us struggle to reach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very and, true. And that's like, that's the example of the prison ministry. I think is that, uh, charismatic, I've, I've noticed this, this is just anecdotal, but one of the strengths I've noticed of charismatics is that they tend to do really well, especially amongst people groups and ethnic groups and class groups, if you think about social class, uh, that are more naturally expressive hmm. and extroverted. Um, <laughs> so like Latino culture, oddly enough, most Protestant bodies have not done super well amongst Latino culture. It's usually the Roman Catholic church, or if you are Protestant, you're going to be very charismatic. Hmm. Um, Chances are, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, my church growing up, or my my formerly Methodist church, uh, we would do weekly or month or annual, sorry, annual missions trips for a week each year to Mexico, and our the church we met with and partnered with each year for now going on three or four decades is an Assemblies of God Church, a Pentecostal mm-hmm. church in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird for, and I, this is just one what I've understood from talking to my friend there who I'm still close with the pastor's son who is now reformed uh, <laughs> reformed theology doesn't really make sense to people there because mm-hmm. it seems in many ways too Roman Catholic. Yeah. And so the pendulum, if you're in Mexico is to swing between very, very low church charismatic or Roman be just be Roman Catholic, which is sort of the default of course. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's a great thing. I think charismatics reaching people groups that are, very, very different than our, you might say, white European. Yeah, well, uh, and maybe just ethnicity. one last putting a period on that uh, that little part is charismatics. To charismatic people, it matters if a church is alive. Yeah. Like, that's a huge deal. And honestly, we need more of that in the Reformed Church. Because, yeah, like, that's a good like, point. So, now, some of the markers for what determines if a church is alive aren't always accurate, particularly high emotions don't necessarily mean a church is is alive, spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that that matters so much, like I do not want to go to a dead church is, is, is admirable. And certainly we can learn from that. Yeah. That's a good, good period. I think to put on that. Yeah. Um, Finally, we can get into what we can consider non-Protestant groups. We've talked a little (laughs) bit about Roman Catholics. Um, I think we could add that, Roman Catholics in many ways um, hold down 
the legitimacy of orthodoxy for the rest of us. They sort of we're sort of swimming in the wake of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the Roman Catholic Church definitely has its issues. I was just reading today about their recent synod on synodality that they had, <laughs> and how it seems like there's lots of rumblings of. Uh, of very progressive uh, voices in the Roman Catholic church. So don't let any Roman Catholic church person try to fool you into thinking that they're the only conservatives really out there. That often happens. Or they're at their homogenous and just monolithic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They really are not. Um, That isn't to say though, that they aren't, they aren't, aren't a huge uh, bastion of orthodoxy in the world. And they certainly are. And so that's something I'm really thankful for. Generally speaking, when you listen to a Roman Catholic priest give some sort of message or uh, devotion or sermon, you may hear some things that to your Protestant ears are genuinely wonky (laughs) and off, (laughs) uh, but you will probably hear things that are uh, in many ways also really good um, and and very truly Christian, Mm. Um, like a, a love for God, a love for God's honor and glory, yeah. uh, a love for God's word. Um, and so in many ways, I th- I'm very thankful to Roman Catholics. Um, and the same kind of goes for Eastern Orthodoxy. What would be something you would add about Roman Catholicism? Well, uh, very practically, Roman Catholics are the most faithful denomination by far in the anti-abortion movement. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when, that's kind of what I meant. Like they hold it down. Yeah, the the March for Life. I mean, that would not happen without the Roman Catholic yeah. Church. It just yeah. wouldn't happen. And so, I'm thankful to Roman Catholic brothers and sisters for, I mean, uh, those those March for Lifes. It's it's like, mm-hmm. you know, Latino, the Latino group, you know, walking mm-hmm. down Pennsylvania Avenue there, um, Roman Catholics, yeah. like carrying the flags literally, um, are, yeah. um, uh, just to defend the lives of unborn people. And so uh, I, I think that's, you know, it's wonderful and, and I'm thankful to Roman Catholic brothers and sisters for it. Um, I would say along with that, there's a real, um, you know, you mentioned a, a the glory of God, um, the death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ being yeah. central to their faith. Um, but sort of within that too, is just a reverence for God hmm. um, and an awe of God, the mystery as well. That Roman yeah. Catholics generally have uh, probably the, the best view of the mysteries of the faith, just hmm. sort of an embrace of the miraculous, the mysterious. Yeah. Um, you know, Absolutely. I know a lot of listeners of our podcast, they might not like Michael Knowles all that much, but uh, he's a conservative commentator, Roman Catholic guy, mm-hmm. who um, was really pulled back into the Roman Catholic faith after kind of wandering around in atheism for a yeah. while, partially because of just recognizing life is very mysterious, yeah. and this, this gives me grounding, but it also still recognizes there's a lot of mystery still in life, and, yeah. and I, I can't always completely understand what it's, God is up yeah, to. It's built into the world in which we live. Exactly, and there's a real embrace of the miraculous, supernatural nature yeah. of God's work in the world. And, of course, that comes through in the doctrine of transubstantiation that we reject, but yeah. um, but part of the reason that that transubstantiation is believed is just this embrace of the supernatural activity of God in the world, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, us reformed folks with our very heady intellectual approach Mm -hmm. to things, very enlightenment era approach, 
we mm. do need those those Roman Catholic reminders of mm-hmm. uh, miracles happen in the world. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and God is is active in the world in some amazing and and very mysterious ways, and so we could embrace that. Yeah, I think. And just adding one more quick comment to Roman Catholics, things that I really appreciate. One would be the depth of their intellectual tradition. Roman yeah, Catholics are huge. amazing thinkers. Part of that is because they are the biggest body of Christianity <laughs> in the whole world. And that means that their 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 whole church extends into so many places and interfaces with so many different kinds of thought that their theologians um, are in many ways some of the wisest and most articulate and well-studied. Um, this isn't to say that the Reformed tradition doesn't have its best theologians that I think in some ways are better, but ma- there are so many great Roman Catholic mm. thinkers mm-hmm. um, and that e- even recent popes. Um, I would not say Pope Francis is yeah. among them. He wouldn't either. <laughs> sure. I don't think he considers himself much of a theologian. Benedict had uh, some great yeah. things to say. Yeah. Pope Benedict, uh, yeah, some of the, some of those popes and other thinkers uh, are amazing. Uh, one of the big ones today is Bishop Barron, the bishop of, I believe, Los Angeles. Yep. Um, and so that's something to commend. They interface with so much, and they their their whole tradition is so big and broad that they have to do all kinds of thinking all the time. And so it's just a very rigorous tradition in that way. And mm. Eastern Orthodoxy, thinking about them. Just quickly turning to the east, uh, <laughs> they're a church that also has deep thinkers. Um, uh, Alexander Schmemann being one of them. Others, Lasky. Uh, there's a lot. There's a long list. But if you want to find a church that has persevered in one way or another under uh, mm. different kinds of rule, political structures that were working against them. Uh, you have no better place to look than to the Eastern Orthodox Church, surviving through all kinds of crazy times and stories and persecutions or uh, under the thumb of different rulers, even different religious rulers yep. living yep. under the thumb of Islam uh, for so long. Yep, the Ottoman Empire. Uh, yeah. And so there's something to be commended. The Orthodox Church has tons of martyrs that have confessed their faith and died for Christ. And so you want to see serious faith, orthodoxy has it. They haven't always been the most intellectually rigorous, often because they've been so subjugated and marginalized. Uh, They haven't had the ability, the sort of institutional ability to create seminaries and universities Universities, and things like that. But holy cow, these people, man, that that church has sustained, been sustained by God through so much. And there's a lot to learn from that as well. Yeah, and uh, Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, the buildings, just the spectacular <laughs> buildings. Yeah. I mean, we like that sounds a little trite to say that and to compliment the beauty of the buildings, but it matters. If you um, go to a big, beautiful church, you'll understand, I think. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, you think of uh, La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona or um, some of the, the, the Hagia Sophia in what is now Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, yeah. of course, uh, with all of its Orthodox roots. Um, I mean, spectacular architecture that matters, that these people yeah. believe matters to God. You know, I imagine um, in both cases, um, adding details to the top of a dome or to to places of a cathedral or church that no one will ever see, but it matters because God will see it. Yeah. Um, and, and just that, uh, that theology of... Uh, of work and excellence, of, uh, yeah, and of just just glorifying God in every little inch of our lives. Yeah. Um, 
that's that's really seen in the mosaics of a Greek, Greek Orthodox church or in the architecture of a Roman Catholic church too. Yeah, my wife just recently did a wedding as a wedding coordinator at a Greek Orthodox church in Modesto. And she got home that night and was just kind of stunned and talking to me about how beautiful the, the building was and mm-hmm. how, uh, how much she could tell that that would create amongst the people of that church a real serious appreciation for beauty and art right and how god loves art and she just was thinking mm. why don't we have more art yeah the visual <laughs> and there's reformed reasons why yep. why we push against having too much of it mm-hmm. um and so i tried to tell her well there's different re- reasons why to make things a little more simple but uh that isn't to say that they don't have a, a huge uh, emphasis on beauty that i think is genuinely commendable so There's more things we could have said. There's more (laughs) denominations possibly that we could have covered. But if you've been listening for this long, you've really made your way through a lot. Yeah. Uh, And so hopefully this, again, is helpful in thinking about where to go to church on a Sunday if you're out and about. Or maybe you want to just take a a Sunday away from your Mm -hmm. own church and Mm -hmm. explore more, go on a sort of a field trip. Uh, I think that that could be a very good spiritual practice to engage in. I wouldn't say to do it all the time, of course, be rooted in your own community, but it can be really good to see what worship is like elsewhere in different uh, Christian bodies. And so, yeah, anything you'd like to add, Mark? No, I'd say uh, try it with a uh, with a belief in the the Holy Catholic Church that um, when you hear the gospel preached and when there are believers gathering in a place, the spirit is at work in some way there. And so hmm. to go into another church with that that openness to the work of the spirit instead of what is often our reformed impulse, which is to go in with our guard up and we're yeah. going to be listening for that heresy. You know, like, yeah. no, it's it, if we truly believe that God is gathering for himself out of the world of people who are elect and chosen and saved through Christ, that's going to that's going to go way beyond the boundaries and the, and the walls of the Christian Reformed Church. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so thank you everyone for listening and for, for waiting for this episode after uh, a week off there. Um, but God bless you in the week ahead and hopefully we'll be with you again next week. Yep. Grace and peace, you guys.